We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, A Distracted Family, and it comes from Hosea 1. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. As I've said earlier, if you follow this ministry and this station, you know that recently we were off the air on the FM station. Our FM transmitter went out and we had an emergency unbudgeted expense just to get back on the air. Christian radio is not free and we need people like you to help us by supporting us with your tax-deductible gift. By making a charitable contribution to Word Talking, you're helping us spread the good news of Jesus to all those that listen in our area. But not only to those who listen in our area, but even those who follow us on the internet. So won't you help us? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your credit card information safely and securely over the phone. Our mail us your gift, the Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.6 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As I said, today we start a new series, and it's from Hosea. Now, Hosea is the first book of what a series called the Minor Prophets. They're not called Minor Prophets because of their importance. They're called Minor Prophets because of the size of the book or the letter that they wrote. If you look at the major prophets, they're 40, 50 chapters. Most of these are 6 to 12. So I would challenge you not to overlook the minor prophets because there's some rich nuggets in there. So one of the interesting facts that comes out of these minor prophets is the book of Hosea. And it is a lot of times categorized with the book from the New Testament, 1 John. And it's because of its message of love. Now, if you've read 1 John, you know it's about how we are to love God, how we're to love our brothers, how we're to love one another, how we're to use that agape love. But Hosea is a little different. Remember, the agape love is is how that God loves us, that unconditional love, that agape love. But Hosea is about God's tough love towards Israel, the love they need at the moment, and how God loves us even through our sin. Today, Hosea is going to show us that how distracted Israel really is. And I'll start that by saying, at this time when this book was written, Israel is in a very prosperous time, or at least the northern kingdom that was under the rule of Jeroboam II, which we'll dive into in just a moment. But because things are prosperous and everything's going good for them, the eyes of Israel have wandered away from God. It's easy to wander away from God when things are going good. And we see that even today. But anyhow, Israel has taken their eyes off and they've turned to the world and they've started doing things more in their own power in man's eyes instead of saying grace back to God and giving him all the credit and the glory. Now, don't get me wrong. They were still you know, going through their temple uh, worship. They were still making sacrifices to God. So Even their lips were saying what they were supposed to say to God, but their hearts were far from God. And again, that's similar to what we see in the church today. There's a lot of people that have lived a life of routine. They get up on Sunday morning and they go to church, whether, you know, that's because what they were raised to do. God wants your heart. 
He doesn't want you to do something out of ritual or out of routine. He wants you to do it out of love and honor towards him. So God sends Hosea to the northern kingdom, and he's the last prophet to warn them, to turn them back to God, to their faithfulness towards God and not of the ways of the world. So who is this Hosea? Well, his original Hebrew name was Hosea, which is the same as Joshua in Hebrew, which really means salvation. Hosea is salvation or to save. Now, Hosea is sent to Israel to give them a tough message to wake them up, to bring them a message of salvation from the doom and that they are headed down and towards. I have a lot to cover, so let's just jump right in. Look with me at Hosea 1. Now, Hosea is the book right after Daniel. So if you're turning in your Bibles there, Hosea 1, verse 1. And I'm reading from the ESV. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judea, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Josh, king of Israel. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Hosea, but we, we know even less about his father other than what it says here in verse 1. He was the son of Barry. Now, the kings that he lists here in verse 1 span mostly the 8th century, and we know these kings from 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and, and that's how we know around that time frame. But during their reign, they were outshone by the prophets. And there were some great prophets during this time. You had Micah, you had Jonah, you had Hosea, and all these were doing great prophetic things under God's anointing. So anyhow, God anointing these prophets to give these kings direction, whether, but most of the time, sadly, they didn't listen to them. Now, you heard me talk about the northern kingdom, so let me give you a little background real quick. So Jeroboam is king, and right now, about 200 years from his reign earlier, Solomon had taken over after David died. So Solomon was the last king that was over this united kingdom. And after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took over, and this is when the kingdom split up. See, Solomon's advisors told him to ease up on the taxes, ease up on the people, but he didn't listen. He listened to his own advisors who told him, tax more, take more. And there was a revolt and there was a split. And you had now the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom because you had Israel and Judah. And when they split, the 10 tribes went down with Judah and it now became the southern kingdom of Judah. So as Jeroboam one reigned over time, he built his own temple near Dan. Uh, he got further and further away from God. He created his own religion that looked very similar to Judaism, but it wasn't. And as Rehoboam II came in, Israel got further and further away from God, and they were only giving God their lip service. Now, God calls Hosea to warn his people. And so Hosea steps in, and right now, politically, there's nobody attacking them. Life is good. And so there's a lot of things that happen when there's prosperous. There's corruption. There's idolatry. There's uh, sexual immorality. And all this was going on. And so we see Hosea address this. So that's where I came up with the title of this message. Israel has become a distracted family. They're taking their eyes off God and they're chasing after their own lust in life. So God uses one of the most interesting tactics in the whole Bible to get the nation of Israel's attention. 
Look with me at verse two at what it says. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So God tells him in verse two, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Now God is setting a stage of morality that he sees from his people. So when God looked at his people, the nation of Israel, not just the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom too, he saw that they were a distracted family. And this is very indicative of the United States and really of the world right now. Especially in America, things are really good. In the last year, the stock market has hit record highs. And we are seeing people that are turning and putting their faith back in money. They're putting it back in man. And they're turning away from God. Yes, they go through their routines. But they're not putting their faith in God. They're putting their faith back in man because things are good. Unemployment is at an all-time low. Jobs are at an all-time high. We are at a record time. And America has turned its eyes away from God and has put it back on man. And as Christians, we need to quit measuring ourselves to the world standard. We need to go back to start measuring ourselves to God's word. We need to measure ourselves to Christ's standard. Not what man says is, is right, but what God's word said is right. So Northern Israel has it good right now. They're not being attacked and their life is good. They're very prosperous, just like it is in America, like I said. The problem is when things are good, sometimes we become lazy. And being becoming lazy is not a good thing. And even Solomon wrote about this in Ecclesiastes. Listen to what he wrote. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4. For everything there is a season and a time for everything under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And see, that's what we're seeing with the northern kingdom of Israel. They had forgotten to gauge everything on what God said and not what the world showed them was right. They were becoming lazy on following God. When things are going good, it's easy to chase after the things that seem beneficial, the things of this world to help things even be better and put God on the back burner. And when times are good, we seem to think they'll always be good. But whether times are good or times are bad, we should always filter what we do through the word of God and what it says. This is where Israel is, and God calls Hosea out, and he tells him to marry a prostitute. And God tells him to do this because Israel has played the part of a whore. You know, sometimes people wake up and they think to themselves, how did my life get so bad? How did I end up with all these problems? But nobody wakes up most of the time with all these problems in one day. It's from small decisions that are made over time. And that's what has happened to Israel. They've played the part of the whore with the rest of the world. So listen to what Ezekiel says about it. Ezekiel 16, 14. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. He says that 
Israel was renowned and they were a known nation. And that started back when they were brought out of Israel. They had a reputation that God was with them and took care of them. The world knew the favor they had with God, that they were a beautiful people and God was with them. But Ezekiel finishes with, it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you. And one of the most common downfalls that we have when things are prosperous is we take credit for what God has done for us and what he's given us. And that's what's happened to Israel. They have turned from God. They are distracted from God and they are looking and living life to the best of their ability and man's ability. And they are taking credit for what God has bestowed upon them. And too many times we do the same thing when God blesses us. Now look what he says in verse 15 though. But you trusted in your beauty and you played the whore. So he says, Israel, you played the part of a whore. You took credit. You turned away from God and you put your lust back in the world. But if you look back at Hosea 1 again, you look at the very end of verse 2, that's what God told uh, Hosea. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Israel has forsaken God and they've put their trust back in themselves. Many times in the Old Testament, God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. And he never has. If you look back on your life, God has never left you nor forsaken you. But how many times have you forsaken God? How many times have you played the part of the whore and you forsake God? And that's what he's telling the nation of Israel through Hosea and through what he's told Hosea to do, that you have forsaken me, you have forsaken the Lord your God. Here's a man of God who's taken on a wife that is a woman of the night. And I can assure you there were people that had turned a blind eye to God that didn't turn a blind eye to this. This is God's way of getting their attention and telling them that you have become a prostitute to the world. You have forsaken everything I've given you. You've used your own beauty for your own gain, and you have gone the way of the world and you've forsaken me. But you know, the beautiful part of this is that Hosea is also an example of Jesus Christ and his bride. He is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming into a world that is full of sinners. And he made a way for them, even though they continued to turn against him and forsake him, he made a way and he loved them. And we see that Hosea honors God's request and he took Gomer as his wife. Now, some commentators say that when Hosea married her, that she got out of whoredom. She was no longer a woman of the night. But over time, we know she goes back into that. She becomes unfaithful again. Whether or not she ever got out of it, I don't know that we truly know. Commentators say that she did. And at first, there was this true love. But over time, she went back to the world she knew, and she bore children. And that's what it says in verse 3. So he, And she conceived and bore him a son. Now, let me go ahead and set a stage for you. We're going to see that she gives him three children, two sons and a daughter. But there's an importance to each and every one of them because God uses each one as a warning sign for Israel. We need to pay attention to the, these three warnings because if you're already wandering away from God or as you begin to wander away from God, these are the three warning signs that God will send towards you to try to wake you up and turn you back. 
So the first son is Jezreel, and this is his only biological son that he has. I think that's important to note. Look at back at verse 3. And she conceived and bore him a son. That's important to note. That means that he was the father of this child. We'll get to it in a minute, but if you look down at verse 6, and she conceived and bore a daughter. It doesn't say bore him a daughter. It says bore a daughter. It doesn't show the ownership like it said bore him a son. Now, if you go down to verse 8, it says, When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Again, it says bore a son, not bore him a son. Again, no ownership. So Isaiah has three children, one that is his and two that are illegitimate. But he still refers to them as his children. When she conceives these children out of wedlock, he still takes them in. So during this marriage, she's being unfaithful to him and she's loving on other men and even having children with other men and he's still loving on her and he loves the children that are brought into his home. And we see this wonderful picture of God, even when we're in our rebellion, that he still takes us in and he loves us and he forgives us of our sin. Satan loves to use the tactics to let us know that we can love the world and God at the same time. And then once he gets the hooks of sin in us, he says that God has forsaken you. Because of your sin, you can't go back to him. But that's not the picture that God has Hosea paint. Even with his wife being unfaithful and bearing these children illegitimately, he takes them in and he loves them just like they're his own. Now he shows us these three warnings. So let's look at the first one, Jezreel. So look with me at verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Judah and the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but we need to look at what Jezreel means. And it means to scatter. And what he's saying is that I am going to scatter Israel out. A beautiful illustration of this would be a handful of rice at a wedding. I know that's taboo today that you have to use bird seed, but take a handful of rice on older weddings and you would throw that rice and it would scatter everywhere. And that is the illustration I think that God is telling Hosea to tell them by naming his son Jezreel. And that's what happens to the northern kingdom first, right? They go through four quick kings, they kill one another, and then the Syrians come in and they take them and they scatter them. Because of time, I can't go into it, but if you want to know more about that, look at 2 Kings 15 about that story. Only a remnant comes back from the scattering that happens through the Syrians. And this is what happens to people when they chase after the world. Over time, they start chasing more and more and more till they're so far away from God, they don't even know how to get back. Do you know how they catch monkeys in Africa? Well, they take a jar and that's just big enough to put an orange in and they put it down through the lip of the jar and then they set it out. They don't have to tie it down. Now, the monkey sticks his hand down through that small lip in the jar and he grabs the orange and he can't get it out. And he will pull and he will work. He'll do everything to try to figure out how to get that orange out, but he'll never let go of it. So they don't have to put the jar in a trap because he will just stay there and they can come and catch the monkey because he will never let go of that orange. And that's the picture that Satan does to us. He puts the orange out there in the world and we get a hold of that orange and we hold on to it and we're easily captured because we won't let go of that orange that we have. So the first sign is that 
They're scattered or they're distant or they're away from God. Now look with me at the second sign. Look at verse six with me. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Now, no mercy wasn't her name. Her name was actually Lo Ruhama, or however you want to pronounce that. I apologize if I butchered it. In the ESV, though, it says no mercy, and that's what Lo Ruhama means. Do you know why we don't always feel the consequences of our sin? It's because God's mercies are new every morning. If someone does something to us, we want them to get the consequences of what they did. But if we do something, we don't want those consequences. We want mercy. But we see here in verse 6 that her name is no mercy, and this is the second warning sign. And we're going to see this even more next week as we dive in to chapter 2 and 3. But her name is no mercy, and we're going to see that God pulls his mercy away. And you might ask, Tim, why would God pull his mercy away? Well, sometimes God has to pull his mercy away. Let us suffer the consequences of our decision so that we will once again become undistracted and look back to him. That's the common theme throughout Revelation. Why are there so many tribulations in Revelation? Because he's trying to get people to turn back to God, yet they harden their hearts and they won't do it. And too many times we have to hit rock bottom before we will turn back to God. We're so distracted. We're so holding on to that orange so tight that we will not turn back to God. And he has to pull back his mercy. He has to let us live out our consequences so that we can see our need for him and our forgiveness. And so here God is telling them, you're going to be scattered and I'm going to pull my mercy away and you are going to have to feel the consequences of your decisions, Israel. And this is one of the first things of tough love. I can remember growing up wondering why my dad did a couple of decisions he made, but it was to show me tough love. I have a son that I've had to make that same decision for that I really didn't want to do, but I had to let him learn. And God does the same thing for us. He pulls his mercy back so that we will see the consequences of our decision and we will then turn back to him. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans 9, verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on a human will or exhort, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So God wants to give mercy, but there are times when he has to show us power, and he has to to wake us up, and he has to get us to look back to him. So again, there was three children and three signs. We saw the scattering, we saw no mercy, and now let's look at the third sign and the third child. Look with me at verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now again, his name wasn't not my people. That's what his name meant. His name was actually Lo-Ami. And God tells him to call his name not my people or Lo-Ami. This is the third and final stage, and this is called rejection. And 
Just as Israel has rejected God, now God is now starting to reject them. Again, you say, Tim, how could a God reject us? You said he'd never forsake us. Well, look, he's already tried to scatter us to show that we're distant from him. He's tried to show us no mercy. Now he rejects us. And in that complete isolation, hopefully that will make us now turn back to him. That's why God does it. It's the last resort. And a lot of times it, it takes this that we have to cast them out. And Paul said that in 1 Corinthians, that we have to cast them out so they can see the depravity of their sin. It takes that rejection for them to get woken up, for them to wake up and see what's going on. Some of us are so stubborn. That's what it takes to break our stiff neck, to make it turn. We're so stubborn and we're so set in our ways that we know what we're doing. And you've seen this downward spiral, but it is through that isolation, it's through that tough love that eventually they'll turn back. Now I would challenge you today, be aware of the warning signs. Are you distracted? Are you holding on to that orange? Is that orange taking you down a path you don't want to go? Is God having to pull his mercy away to let you feel the consequences of holding on to that orange? And are you being rejected? Well, I don't want to leave this message in a tough love message because really it doesn't end there. Look with me at verse 10. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judea and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for the great shall be the day of Jezreel. All of a sudden, the clouds break, the light shines through. And you might be saying, what are you talking about, Tim? Recently, we had multiple days of rain. We had bad weather came through. When the sun shined back through, I remember making the statement to my wife, hey, I see blue sky. And that's what we see right here. We see the blue sky because they will, there will be a remnant that will turn back to God. Even through their scattering, through their no mercy, and through their rejection, there will be a remnant that will turn back to God. It takes 70 years for the stiff-necked of Israel to turn their head back to God. And for the northern kingdom, it took longer than that. But it says that they will be like the sand of the sea. Even though he scatters them, there will be a remnant that comes back. And that is the beauty for us. God will take us back. He really never does forsake us. Yeah, he pulls his mercy away. Yes, he rejects us so that we feel that isolation. But just like Hosea took this wife that was in the whoredom and loved, God takes us. Even though we hoard ourselves out to the world, he takes us back. And he's here today knocking on your heart. And he's saying, won't you come back to me? Won't you turn your stiff neck? Won't you take your hand off that orange so you can pull it out of that jar and not be trapped any longer? Look quickly with me at Hosea 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. God does not hold his mercy back forever. He doesn't allow his people to remain scattered. He does not reject us forever, but he allows us to come back. We see right here in chapter 2, verse 1, that those that turn back to the Lord, he brought back. And he tells them that you are my people and you have received mercy. Let us pray. 
Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for this lesson on Hosea, Lord. And we saw the tough love. We saw that you, though, made a way back. It was a matter of us making that choice. Lord, you sent your son so that we have a way back. You've given us a way through him, him going to the cross, dying on the cross and overcoming the grave, that there is a chasm that he overcame. And that sin had created the chasm, but his cross covers that chasm and we can cross back to you by crossing through the cross. Lord, right now, I know there's someone out there you're knocking on their heart and you're trying to wake them up from a sin. Lord, I pray right now that they would turn it back to you. They would quit trying to do it in their own power. They would give it back to you. Lord, there's someone you're knocking on a heart right out there that they have a loved one that they've been praying for, that you will give them these seeds of mercy and they would understand how they need to react to this person. And then last, Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't understand any of this because they don't know you. All they know is they've never made you Lord of their life. I'd pray today that they would do that. They would admit they're a sinner. They would believe that you died on the cross and you rose again, and they would confess you with the mouth that you are Lord and to man. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. I thank you for the blessings you give this ministry. We're going to give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.